so welcome, especially if you're new. My name's Alison, and uh, I'm doing the second line of the Lord's Prayer. So the first line is, Our Father who art in heaven. I'm on, hallowed be your name. So it means holy is your name. So it's interesting how God has labelled himself as holy. He wants to be called holy. I don't know what your names are, everybody in this room, you know, a lot of them. But you've got a label as to who your parents thought you were. My name's Alison, and I mean, it means noble. Um, and on the back of every piece of your clothes, you've got a label. And not only does it tell you what clothes it is, what size it is, where it's made, it also tells you what the substance of the clothing is, how to treat the clothing. And it's almost that like God's done this. He said, this is my name. My name is Holy. This is a substance of who I am. This is how I'd like you to treat me. So it's quite important that we listen. Now, um, there's an argument that the prayer, Lord's Prayer is in the same pattern as the ancient Jewish poetry. And they used to put things in couplets. Now, it's not quite a coupleted prayer, but I feel very much that hallowed be thy name goes very well with our Father who art in heaven. Although they seem very different, they seem almost a contrast. Um, Seems unique, drastic, a little bit radical. How can you have our Father, how can we approach God as our Father, all loving, all caring, but then have a holy side to him? It doesn't seem to make sense, but it does if we look at other places of the Bible. I'm just going to start off with one quickly, and then we're going to unpack what does holy mean? What does it matter that God is holy? How does it affect me? How does it affect our world? So in Hebrews 12, it says, My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline because he disciplines the ones he loves for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Being a father has something to do with holiness, making us holy. So, um, sorry, my mouth is so dry today. I don't know why. I don't know if your only understanding of holiness is that bad dad joke. And they say, oh, my socks are really holy. And you'll go, oh. But holiness, the first time of holiness is in Genesis. <coughs> Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he's done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Everything we see at the beginning of creation is so good, so pure, so perfect. It's like a firework of creation, a rainbow of display. It's not a reaction to evil. It's got nothing to do with badness. It's all to do with good. The power, life, positive work. It's a, it's a celebration of gratitude. It's everything's been made well. It's clean, fresh, and pure. But he's separating this day. He's separating and saying, on this day, we're going we're gonna to rest. It's all going to be about relationship. It's all going to be about space. And it's all going to be about um, just time um, with me. And I was thinking very much about the tree. You know, the tree that's got cut down. And I'm wondering whether something of that is a reaction to... It's a, it was a display of the glory and the holiness of God. It was a display of his life and his creativity. And someone has cut it down. It's just a small take on it. I know it's... Uh, but it just made me think. 
Um, and it's quite drastic, isn't it? Out of every 168 days lived, God's asking us to put a whole 24 hours just for him. It's drastic. It's radical. It's something that's been unseen before now in the, in the life, and, and he puts it in really early. But along comes corruption in this beautiful, colourful world. Adam and Eve give in to deception and temptation. The act seems relatively small. They're just eating fruit. But actually, the corruption has affected all of us. It's affected our world. It's affected our motives. It's affected our hearts. It's seeped in and rotten, made rotten the core of our lives. And now in Genesis 3, after the corruption comes, we see the opposite of a blessed day. We see the cursed serpent. We see pain. We see toil, sweat, and death, and shame appears. And not only that, we see a sep- another separation. Not of good from good, but of good from corruption. And it says, God banished from the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve to work the ground and put cherubim at the entrance with a flashing sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Corruption brings separation. Now there's a pictorial issue of the separation that corruption brings. Cherubs at the door. A holiness inside and corruption on the outside. All that was good and positive has now been spoilt. And the separation of shame, the, the corruption cannot reside with the holy. And the relationship between man and God has been tarnished. The relationship between heaven and earth has now been polluted. But then we see Moses. And in the middle of this, God is calling mankind back into holiness. And there's a burning bush on a hill. And God calls Moses and he says, come, come, take off your shoes for this ground is holy ground. I actually want you in the holy place. I want you here with me. I want our relationship restored. I want you to be holy. Take off your sandals because it's holy ground. And then he speaks to Moses about a holy nation, a holy people, a holy dwelling place where God dwells. It's not that God wanted a separation. He just couldn't bear to stay with the corruption, spoil the relationship. So the people built the temple, a place where God could dwell. But even with this holy place, there's a separation. There's a veil that separates the holy from the most holy place. And it says in Exodus 26, verse 33, hang the curtain from the clasps. Oh, that's a really difficult job to do. I hate doing that one. And place the Ark of the Covenant behind the curtains. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Unique, drastic and radical that in this land there would be somewhere that is so holy so pure, so full of life and power that is so holy that only the priests are allowed to enter. But God wanted us in that place. Now before I go on any further, I just want to keep on recapping the fact that the holiness 
isn't about sin and death. Holiness is about goodness and power and creativity and beauty and purity. That's the base of holiness. So I want you to watch this video about holiness and I want you to catch it. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear. And God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place. That's the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. I want to grasp how amazing our God is. How when we say our Father, he's asking us for intimacy. But when he says, holy is your name... We're not taking the closeness of intimacy lightly. We come in in awe and wonder at this amazing God. Amen. We don't come casually. So how does, we talked about God being holy. How does it affect us? We need to be pure in order to see God. We need to pray, hallowed be thy name. Because God is so good, we need to become pure and holy to be with him. We need to take unique, drastic, and radical steps in order to have a relationship with him. And we must think about the corruption of Adam and Eve and how much it has corrupted us. We can't walk away from this. Now, I was thinking, how do we, how do we look at this? I don't know if you've ever seen a rabbit in snow. We had a little white rabbit called Snow White. And uh, Abby, we had an empty rabbit hutch and uh, Bethany put her little white toy rabbit in and I walked past a pet shop and I said, God, if there's a white rabbit in there that looks exactly like the one in the, in the rabbit hutch, I'll buy it. And there was. So we put it in the rabbit hutch um, and um, 
she thought her toy rabbit had come alive. <laughs> for, for months afterwards, so she thought this little toy rabbit had come alive. But when you saw this white rabbit, which I thought was absolutely white, pure white, when you saw the white rabbit in snow, you realised how dirty it was. And I think sometimes we think we're clean and we think we're good, but actually we're like white rabbits, we're not really. I was at university on Friday and they were asking everybody, are you good? And everybody said, yes, I'm good. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. You're saying that you're good. And it's interesting how in society, there's no real such thing as good as bad. We're all a little bit good, a little bit bad. Everything's merged into this gray and we're so easily deceived that actually if, if we're right rabbits and really we're not that good, we actually don't, if we are white rabbits, we need a saviour. If we think we're good, we don't need a saviour. And that's part of the problem. If we only tell half a gospel, if we think, if we say, oh, everything's good, God is good, everything's good, they think, well, I don't need a saviour then. But actually, we're white rabbits. But only when we get into God's presence do we actually see what our state really is like. That's why God loves us doing, one of the reasons why I worship, because we actually see what we're really like, and so we can really change our hearts. So in Isaiah, verse 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraph, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, a doorpost and threshold shook, and the whole temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response was a white rabbit in snow. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. When we see how pure and how perfect, how creative and how wonderful he is, we realize that we need to change. Those things that come out of our mouths, those lies, the swear words, the deception. It needs to change. But there is hope. Because in Isaiah 6, verse 6, it says, one of the seraphs flew with a coal in his hand, a live coal, which he had taken from tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Our sin can be atoned for. It's a picture of Jesus coming and atoning for our sins and making us holy. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He's done it. He's made us holy. He paid the price. And Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy 
and blameless in his sight. He's changed us. He's cleaned us. He's swept us through. He's made us pure. He's touched our hearts and our lips with burning holiness. Now, how are we going to live? He's asking us to live uniquely separate, drastic, radical. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, it says in the message, so roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life of energetic and blazing with holiness. God says, I am holy. You be holy. It says our legal status is holy, but how we live will affect our relationship with God. How we live will affect the separation or purity or, or worshipping him with all our hearts. Now, I've got this barbecue up here. Imagine God swept you clean and he's put these burning coals in your heart. And I'm not, I wasn't allowed to use real fire. I, did it, I didn't even ask. Um, some of my lights have gone out. Um, he swept us clean. Um, and you know that time when you become a newborn baby in Christ? Everything's so fresh and pure. You're so responsive to God. Everything's so tender, so soft and gentle. But then what happens is we slip back into the old ways of thinking and our attitudes and hearts change. And we end up being corrupt, being corrupted by ourselves. So let me see what I've got. I've picked some of the things from Romans 1. Greed and hatred. The whole thing of wanting more of violence, of spite. <laughs> Godless, rude, egotistical, smug, self-righteous. We don't listen to parents. We lack character. We're heartless. We're not trusted. We break friendship. We start filling our lives with things that are corrupting our holy situation. And it doesn't end there. Now that pure coal of fire is being smothered by corruption. It doesn't burn it because we've chosen these things. Whether big sins or small things, we're saying, well, I'm not a murderer. But there's all little things like spiteful comments, jealous of somebody's house, shoplifting, turning a blind eye. It smothers the true us. And sometimes we turn from what we know is right. It dulls our hearts. Our passion dissipates. We get tired. Our faith becomes sleepy. And then sometimes the fire goes out. But it says, you called out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father, but don't forget he's also a responsible father, and he won't let you get by with sloppy living. God wants you as a responsible father 
to be sharp because actually this sharpens our relationship with him. That's what he wants. He wants relationship. He wants you. He wants you to live holy lives. Not because he can punish you, but because he wants to draw you. He wants a relationship with you. The other thing God talked to me about was corruption is our choices, things that we do when we corrupt our lives. But there's also a pollution that happens in the world. So... um, Pollution is the, when we imbibe the culture that's around us. And every day, this comes washing at our door. Washing, very gladly washing. Have you seen a sandcastle being washed down by the tide? It doesn't come automatically, does it? It just comes very slowly. Washing, washing. You hear the same thing on the news every day from your friends, washing, till you start believing what the culture says. And it starts taking away the purity and the um, pureness of your heart, the holiness. So it's like having a pure jug of water. God's made you holy. But then we allow our lives and our situations. Let me have a think. What have I got from here? Individualistic. So we believe it's better to be on our own than be part of the church. Because that's what the culture says. How about self-focused? It's all about me. How many likes I've got on Facebook? It's washing in, it's washing in. We've not even noticed. It's changing our holy and our purity. How about um, relativism? Well, there's no truth, really. Everything's what you want it to be. Everything, there's no truth. The Bible has no ultimate truth. It's all a bit, bit what you fancy. Washing in, washing in. Holiness changing into pollution and power and dominance you've got to be powerful or dominant to be fruitful you've got to blame somebody if something goes wrong it's materialism it's all about things now do you want a drink but actually God's asking us to be pure to keep away from corruption to keep our hearts away from pollution and how we do this we repent We say, actually, something has corrupted me. I'm polluted. I need to say sorry. It's all about relationship. And I want to show you what happens when you do actually say sorry. God doesn't come. He's not angry with you. He just wants to build relationship again. So it's good to have you back. I don't know what to say. I don't require much. I'm... I'm so ashamed. <laughs> you redeemed me and I just threw it all away. Well, that's not much of a redemption if it can be lost in a day, is it? <laughs> I owe you everything. The... I just don't think I can do it. Do what? Live up to it. Repay you. How could I leave? How could I go back to the place I was? And I didn't even... I didn't even come back on my own. They had to come get me. (sighs) I just can't live up to it. 
Well, that's true. <laughs> but you don't have to. I just want your heart. A father just wants your heart. Give us that, which you already have. And the rest will come in time. Did you really think that you'd never struggle or sin again? I know how painful that moment was for you. I shouldn't. Someday. But not here. I'm just so sorry. Look up. I can't. You can. Look at me. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> it's over. It's from the chosen, and she messes up, and she comes back, and she feels so ashamed. And yet, whatever we've done wrong, God will st still accept us like a father. Jesus will still wrap his arms around us and say, I'm forgiven. She didn't botch it, she didn't pretend it hadn't happened. There was a very clear time when she gets before Jesus, she says, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've messed up. And recently on the Lectio 365, every night it says, a prayer says, Father, would you remind me of now the ways in which I've sinned today, in thought, in word, or in deed. I take a moment to confess my sin before you now. And I started doing this during COVID and after COVID, and I'm thinking, oh, I, can do, I, I was all right for the first two weeks. And then I had to think of more sins. I thought, I'm struggling on this one, God. But the more I started to do it, the more I realized that there were so many things in my heart that I was so self-deceptive about, of things that I thought were okay, things part of me, shadow bits in our hearts, that God just wants us to clear out so our relationship with him is so pure and so perfect. So we've done holiness of God and holiness of us, but the world needs holiness. The world is crying out for something different. The world is crying out for something unique, something drastic, something radical. It's tired of the dirge of the day, the drip of repetitiveness, the gray of lackluster chores, the darkness around it. It wants hope. And I don't know if you take back to the beginning where the light and the life crashes into creation and produces life and color and fruit as the holiness of God creates all those things. That's what the world wants. And just as God spoke to Moses and says, I want a holy people and a holy nation, a tabernacle where I can dwell. That's how we come in because we're the place where God can meet people from the world where he can meet the church he wants us to use us to reach out in transformation just as a coal touched the mouth of Isaiah he wants to transform things around us he wants the Holy Spirit to come 
And the Holy Spirit can only move if the church is holy. If we're full of corruption and full of dirt, we, he can't move in the freedom that he wants to move. He can't transform the world around us. He can't transform your workplaces, the streets, the homes that you live in. Holiness is needed so that the power can come, that God can move. God is on the move. He's coming. It's all a matter of how much are we going to give him room? How holy are we going to be? How holy, how transformed are we be? How drastic are we going to be to follow him in order to let his power come in its fullness? So what do we need to do? We need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We need a mind shift of that relationship with the Father and holiness coming together. Love and purity. Not casual, but not distant. We need to be willing to go. It says in the Isaiah passage, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he was transformed and he said, I will go because I can take that holiness that you've given me to others. And the last one, be the people we were called to be. He's made us holy. He's called us holy. Let's be that holy nation, that holy people. As we fast and we repent and we confess, we can change our lives, our families, our communities around us. We can be those who are unique and drastic and radical. We're just going to finish now because I feel rather than just us talking about it, confession, it'd be good for us to do so I've given you a piece of paper each on your, on your thing. We're just going to give you some space to think about something. There's plenty of things that we, we do, we think, a motive, a thought, something we've done. Um, they're going to bring you some pens around. And we're going to give you some space to confess. It means that you're cancelling permission for the enemy to have space in your life, for lies in your life. <laughs> We're going to command all the darkness to go and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. But it's a process of clearing out the rubbish and letting his power come in. Our Father, who art in heaven, you are holy. Your name is holy. And you have called us to be your holy nation, your holy people. And God, we stand before you, thanking you that you have paid the price for our sins, that you have made us holy. But God, we want to live as those who are holy. We want to work in relationship with you. We want an intimate relationship with you and with the Holy Spirit. And Father God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, we just ask you now to come and move among us. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for right relationship with you. Now come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come and light those coals in our hearts again. Light that fire in our hearts, in our lives. Cause us to burn with passion for your name. Cause us to burn with passion for your house. Cause us to be those people with a relationship that's so tender, so eager to be with you that we give our whole lives over to you again. Father God, we want to see you come in this place in power. We want to see you come in our streets in power. We want to see you come in our towns 
abounds in power. I mean, we know it starts with the coals in our hearts being reignited again. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, blow upon each one of us right now. Father, let your kingdom come in this place. Father, may your will be done that starts in our lives, in our holy places. Father, in the tabernacles of our hearts. Father God, we just ask this in the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.